This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Congrats, you're pregnant! Now, what do you do during the next nine months? You need Preggy Pals, an audio podcast that educates and entertains expectant mothers and those hoping to become pregnant. Each episode features pregnant moms-to-be as well as experts. Together, we explore topics aimed to embrace pregnancy and encourage women to pursue their choices when giving birth to their babies. Preggy Pals is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Look for our free network app in Apple and Android to discover more great parenting shows and listen to your favorite episodes on the go. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. We've got a birth story for you. A couple of quick announcements. First of all, apologies that our publishing schedule has been a little bit off over the last week. Uh, There are a number of things that I could go into to explain to you as to why that that's happened, Um, but it just has, so we own that and acknowledge that. It's been a little off, so the number of stories is still about the same. It's just our days have been a little goofy, so we're working on getting back on track here. Anyway, uh, another announcement, actually pretty cool. I'm wearing my doing it at home shirt right now. I just realized this was not planned at all. I just love wearing this shirt. So I'm wearing the tank um, in the light green color and it says have babies where you make them. And I love wearing this shirt. First of all, it's soft and hella comfortable. But then it's awesome because I'm repping my doing it at home pride and it's a great conversation starter in the grocery store or wherever I go. So if you're interested in getting your very own Let's Talk Home Birth or Have Babies Where You Make Them, D-I-A-H gear, go to our website, diahpodcast.com, click the shop tab there and you can browse, peruse at your leisure, um, whatever style you want, color, size, all that great stuff. Um, And that link is also in the show notes for today. So you can go check that out and go there or just go straight to our website or you can go to our Instagram page or our Facebook page or check out our 
closed Facebook group for the doing it at home community. Um, fun fact about that. I screen that stuff. So we have questions for you if you want to join the group. And if people don't answer them at all, and then you just have one kind of sketchy picture, I don't let those people in the group because there's just a lot of random accounts out there. Sometimes they're like robots who just want to, yes, I said robots, but you know what I mean? Like not real accounts. Um, <laughs> so I scan that and make sure that it's only legit people who actually listen to the show or are hashtag birth junkie in the birth world. So I take care of that for you so that we don't have random people in there. Uh, and let's see what else, how you can listen to the show, support the show. Of course, follow us on all of those things I just listed. And you can listen to the show in Apple Podcasts, of course, Google Play, pretty much any podcast player, and especially in the Parents on Demand network. Um, So they have an app that you can use on your Android or your iPhone, Parents on Demand. Go to their website, download that, or go to whatever app store you use and download that app, and you can listen there, as well as all the other amazing shows that are on Parents on Demand, the lovely network that we are a part of, and we're so grateful for that community. All right, T. So let's get into the birth story for today. Uh, It is an international birth story or stories in the sense that a birth in one birth in one country and one birth in another country. So it's pretty cool to share that perspective. We love when we can get the multicultural and all across the world perspective on birth because it's so different. Of course, in the U.S., I mean, state to state, but then, you know, cross the country border and it can be very different as well. So Lindsay Wolf is on the show today and she is sharing both of her home birth stories, one in Canada in Vancouver, British Columbia, and the other in Boston, Massachusetts. And we just kind of go through the difference in those experiences from the care to the navigating the birthing communities there, the care systems, all of that. And then one highlight that I will share with you, one of her births includes seven and a half hours of pushing. Yeah, so you're going to want to listen to this. And Lindsay is now a doula and she herself has attended over 200 home births and is a declared birth junkie and birth worker uh, supporting women and families in the birthing community. And it's such a beautiful thing. And we had such a great conversation. Here it is. Buenos dias world from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah. We are going to talk about some cool stuff. Um, Before we hop into all that, why don't you just share a little bit about you and your family? Awesome. Um, Yeah, so I am the mom of two girls. They're five and three. Um, I have a husband that's awesome and supportive and I wouldn't be able to do what I do without 
him. Um, even just being on this podcast today, uh, you know, my older daughter woke up sick and he's on parent duty while mm. I do this. So um, I'm excited to be here. Um, so we're currently living in just outside of Boston. Um, our first was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, and our second one here um, in the Boston area. Awesome. Wow. Okay. So I know we're going to talk about that as well. You know, giving birth, not just in two different locations, which I'm sure a lot of people experience if you move around a bunch, there's a lot that comes with that, right? Especially if you're going for home birth or um, if you if you want to seek your options and your care providers, like that can change state to state. And then of course, from one country to another. So um, I know that there are some mamas really excited about that now to get that perspective in terms of, you know, how you navigate that. Awesome. Yeah. And I didn't realize like how just how different the systems were until obviously being in it myself, but also having the perspective that I do now as like being involved in um, in the discussions around legislation and stuff around home birth midwifery here in Massachusetts and like mm-hmm. how things are so different than they than they are in Canada. So I'm excited to to chat about all of that. Yeah, cool. And I could see how the assumptions could go either way, right? I could see how someone would think like Canada, it's right there, like it's going to be the same, right? Or you know, if you if you don't really know, you know, they're right there, it's got to be similar. Or on the other hand, just anyone to assume anything outside of the US is just going to be drastically different. So I could see it, it would I guess it would depend on, you know, kind of where you come from and your experience with birth or, you know, maternal care that you would kind of be on either side of that and and not really be sure otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then walk us through a little bit of what the path to home birth was for you for um, for Isla, for your first. So let's see. So with our first, then we, um, I was there as a postdoc at, at University of British Columbia, mm. um, got pregnant, um, somewhat planned, um, you know, in that we were not avoiding it. Um, and yeah, so, but I didn't know anybody. I mean, we had just been there for a year. No one in my lab, you know, had babies. Um, so really when it was time for me to start delving into how to find care providers, it was really just like, all right, I, you know, have sort of always imagined that I would be, um, under midwifery care. Um, my, sort of general uh, feelings about my healthcare in general is that, you know, if, as long as I'm low risk, then let's go as if I'm low risk. So I started looking around for how to hire a midwife in Canada and um, just um, never really thought about giving birth in a hospital. Um, mm. I don't know if that like stems from just, uh, you know, again, viewing myself as low risk until something else comes up. Um, my great grandmother also gave birth at home and I grew up hearing her birth stories. And so for me, it's, it felt more normal and typical than I have later found out that it is. Um, (laughs) I thought that it was, or I thought that it was something that more people did. And at that point in my life, and I was like, I didn't hear a lot of birth stories. Not a lot of my friends had had um, babies. My best friend had, but she had a higher risk situation. And um, so obviously within a hospital. So yeah, so I started looking at how to have a home birth midwife. And, and in Canada, then um, there's licensure around home birth midwifery and nurse midwives are the ones attending home births. Um, 
you know, there's, there's some benefits to that and that like, it's also covered by insurance. So like we, we chose a care provider and then chose where we wanted to give birth. So if we wanted our midwives to attend to us in the hospital, they would have. Um, but we, um, we chose to have our midwives at home. And if we were to have transferred um, to a hospital at any point in my care, then they would have stayed my providers, um, which is very different than, um, you know, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, very different than how things here in Massachusetts. Um, so there's obviously some benefits to it, but also, you know, with licensure, you know, then if anything were to come up in my pregnancy that, um, you know, that the, that Canada has decided is would risk me out of home birth, like mm. a twin pregnancy or a breech baby or, okay. you know, anything, you know, is a variation of normal and isn't necessarily, you know, a, a high risk factor. Um, it would have risked me out of home birth, regardless of whether my midwives felt comfortable um, doing that. So, um, so yeah, so there's pros and cons to that, but, sure. you know, basically in Canada, nurse midwives are the ones attending home births and, um, and we found some that we loved. Um, we had a great group of midwives and, um, you know, my birth wouldn't have turned out as it would without, um, as it did without having their support and knowledge and, you know, basis in evidence based care, you know, mm. so Wow, that's really interesting. And I'm sure that's a much greater discussion and one that I will admit I'm ignorant to, especially as it relates to birth outside of the U.S. But if it's like a historical factors, political aspects, financial, like economical, whatever. But I'm just curious, like if someone could give a one sentence answer as to what you just said there, like you choose your provider and you choose the location. Like, why is it like that there? Like what, what, came together for that to be the basis in which the decisions are made there and why it's not that way here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I wish I had a one sentence answer to that. Um, The reason that the reason that it works that way is because of this licensure and with licensure always comes restriction. Right. Um, Okay. But with licensure, then um, with licensure also comes coverage, you know, in a lot of cases like that's, the basis for most insurance companies to um, to cover the cost of a provider is having an in in network um, licensed provider. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, but you know, whether the United States can ever get to this point, I'm not sure. Our whole healthcare system is so different and so financially driven, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it, you can throw as much evidence. At, right. um, at it as you want, but they're still, you know, it doesn't matter to insurance companies that home birth has been shown to be as safe, if not safer than uh, hospital birth in many situations. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, many of the insurance companies here um, have said straight no, no to home birth doesn't matter if the if the midwives are licensed or not, right. no home birth. Yeah, which fascinating, is fascinating. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. so because we could do that all day, <laughs> but this is about you yeah. and your amazing magical birth stories. Um, what? Uh, so then, how was the rest of your pregnancy, and how was the care you experienced, and in preparation for birth? Um, it was it was awesome. Oh, you know, I, our care providers were right on campus with us. Mm. Um, those. Super easy to go to appointments and, 
you know, just really um, sensitive, compassionate care. It was a group of three midwives at that point. I think that the practice has since grown. Um, but yeah, we loved them all. Would have been thrilled to have any of them at our birth. And basically the way that their practice worked is that like two of the three of them would have been with us um, because they have a, you know, they always have two midwives at each birth, you know, one for mom and one for baby. Love that. Um, and yeah, so and we adored them all. So it wasn't like being in a big practice where, you know, you don't know who you're going to get. And um, so it, I loved it. Um, and let's see, the rest of my pregnancy was fine. I had a very low risk pregnancy. Um, nothing came up prenatally that was of any kind of concern, which was great. Mm-hmm. We were able to plan our our home birth. Um, you know, had our 36 week home visit uh, with the midwives and, you know, got our birth pool and, uh, you know, all of the stuff. We made sure that we had ordered all of our supplies and yeah. Yeah. And then we were just waiting it out. And, and then I was um, 39 weeks and a day pregnant and I had biked to to work like I did every day through my pregnancy. Oh, People wow. thought that I was crazy. Yeah, but... I'm sure that was a sight for onlookers and passersby. <laughs> people people would turn their heads like bike to school. I'm like, you probably just saw me yesterday. Right. Like, with me like spreading my my giant belly. Um but it was a short ride. You know, I lived on campus. I worked on campus. Mm-hmm. Um so it wasn't that big of a deal. And I did it every day, you know, for almost 40 weeks. So, um, except for the days that I was like, I'm too tired to get out of bed. I'm going to work from home today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, most of the time I, I biked into work and, um, yeah, so it was like a Tuesday morning and my, um, I was sitting in lab and I felt like a trickle and I had never like dealt with any kind of incontinence. I had never, you know, so I knew that this was something, different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, uh, I called my midwives and, um, I ended up just going over to their office and they confirmed that my membranes had ruptured. It wasn't a pop and a gush. So it was like one of these high trickles mm-hmm. that just started. And, um, I think because of that, then my body, you know, didn't really get a clear signal that it was time to have a baby. Okay. Um, so, so it was, um, that, that was Tuesday morning that that happened. And then Tuesday, nothing happened. Wednesday, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Thursday, nothing happened. Friday, my midwives were like, okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) so we got to talk about options. You know, the research really is clear that after, you know, if they're, if you're not doing vaginal exams, um, and they're keeping an eye on baby's heart rate and I'm keeping an eye on my temperature, mm-hmm. you know, then there, there's not really clear evidence to, um, induce immediately in this situation. So, so they discussed that with me and, and we sort of decided to take a, a wait and see approach. Gotcha. And just to, um, and just to ask, and we waited. 
just to ask for what listeners um, who maybe yeah. like why or whatever, is that to uh, address like risk of infection? Because that's something that comes up for women. You know, if they say you lose your water or part of your waters or whatever, and then don't start labor or don't yeah. have a baby within a period of time, you know, you, that starts to become a conversation. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Okay, cool. Just yeah. want to be clear. So, so yeah, you know, if your membranes are leaking, then you're, you know, whether it was a pop and a gush or, you know, there's just an opening in the amniotic sac somewhere, you know, you're more at risk of developing a, a chorionic uh, infection. Got it. Um, so, um, but, you know, and this, the, the things that we know increase the risk of that infection are doing vaginal exams. So, like, introducing bacteria More from stuff the in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Got and it. I was GBS negative. So, um, so there, you know, that was also on our side as well. If, if that was, if I had been GBS positive, then this would have been a different story. Okay, cool. So, um, so we waited a long time yeah. and <laughs> I wasn't. Having so on Friday afternoon, then we talked again and we were like, okay, so what are we going to do here? And my midwife presented the idea of castor oil um, mm. cocktail, you know, like mixing it up with some stuff that makes it not taste as gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, I don't know. Okay. Like I'll think about it in the morning. And I, I was like, meanwhile, like there's smooth move tea and capsules that like, you know, work by the same mode of action, but might be a little gentler. And so I, I asked them if I could do that instead. And so I, on Friday night and I, I, took some smooth move stuff and went to bed and I woke up to a little bit of activity, you know, like bowel activity, but not uh, labor activity. So then on Saturday morning, then I was like, fine, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to chug down the nasty castor oil crap. And, um, and I did. And um, it, it worked. Um, you know, it was, uh, enough trips to the bathroom that I didn't even like think about the fact that I was having contractions. Mm. Like it did cause contractions. Um, but it really like just caused a lot of diarrhea mm-hmm. and it was awful. Yeah. Um, and so it's like not, not the most pleasant way to start labor. Some people take like multiple doses of castor oil and never, but apparently it, I'm just super sensitive to it because I had one, you know, dose of it and I was, just like spent the day on the toilet and it ended up significantly affecting the rest of my labor. And that like, you know, I through, um, through active labor, then all I really wanted was like a cold pack on my butt. Mm, Um, (laughs) Cause at that point, like I, I was just done, like I was empty, but Hmm. You know, but when I would have a contraction, then I would just feel burning in my intestines. And it wasn't like it didn't feel cervical. It didn't feel Mm -hmm. like abdominal. It just felt like, you know. And so um, anyway, I'm sort of getting ahead of myself a little bit. The castor oil worked. I had some some regular contractions, um, but they weren't like they didn't ever really pick up into like a a pattern. Um, So that evening, then uh, my midwife suggested um, having a, a group of, um, there's a group of acupuncturists in Vancouver that do home visits that mm-hmm. are like sort of specialized in, um, in pregnancy and, um, and postpartum 
support and they do on call like they came on a Saturday night and um, and did acupuncture and like acupuncture is something that I never really believed in before that I was like how does that work just sticking needles in your butt like that that's just a bunch of hokey crap but oh my gosh it works um, and we ended up having them come back a couple of different times throughout my labor um, just to keep things going, you know, during, during pushing, then they ended up coming back um, again to bring contractions closer. Um, throughout this whole process, my contractions never came closer than like seven and a half minutes apart, huh. even during the second stage. During. Wow. Um, so it was clear that I just like, my body was not ready to do this. Mm. Um, and, um, and I was trying everything that I could to remain at home. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that I also like at that point having it be, you know, let's see, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, going into Saturday, you know, without my body starting on its own, I think that I had also created a bunch of emotional blocks to, um, to this labor starting and was like having some self-doubt of whether this was actually going to happen and whether my body was actually going to do this. Sure. I'm, I'm sure that that played into it. Yeah. That makes um, a lot of sense. But yeah. So, but after a lot of coercion mm-hmm. then um, then I finally got to uh, the pushing stage and, um, and at home, I was still at home. Um, and yeah, it's, takes a really long time to push a baby out when you're having seven and a half minute apart contractions. <laughs> um, so it took me about seven and a half hours to push her out. Um, oh. So I pushed for about three. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have any other reaction than just like, I don't have words. And I'm sure <laughs> like a few other too. listeners were like, what? <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah. For three hours before I, um, fell asleep. And so I took like an hour and a half long nap in the middle of pushing with an ice cloth shoved against my rectum. Jeez. <laughs> and and then after about an hour and a half, then my midwife came into my bedroom and was like, you have to start pushing and you're going to push your baby out or we're going to transfer. Uh-huh. Like get up, get in the shower, get re-energized. Like we're not napping anymore. You got your rest in. Um, it's time to push a baby out. And All right. Yes, it, ma'am. It me, <laughs> yeah. And then it took me over four hours after wow. that. Oh. Um, she ended up coming out with a huge cone head mm. and a nuchal hand, which was, I think, the explanation of it. So, you know, the the length of pushing, at least. Um, she had her hand up next to her head like Superwoman. Um, and she came out, I mean, totally totally normal, you know, and in a different birth place than I would have ended up in a C-section, mm-hmm. but like I pushed her out and she was healthy and everything was fine. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, it took a lot of patience on everybody's part. I can imagine. So my, I have a question or like questions. I just like how, what were you telling yourself or how were you processing or how did you keep the, the inspiration and the motivation to stay in that space and to keep pushing. I mean, seven and a half hours is like that that's intense. And so I just, 
wondering if you can even remember, if you can go back there or, or now processing it now, just what what you were doing with yourself in those seven and a half hours. You know, I think that I was, at that point, I was too tired to really process okay. much of uh-huh. anything. Um you know, because there was the excitement leading up to, you know, like Tuesday, my water's broken. Like my media, you know, induced <laughs> misperceptions about birth. I thought that I was going to be having a baby. Sure. And like my midwives, you know, assured me that like, you know, time would come and that I should rest. But like, it's hard to sleep well when you're like knowing that, um, that this could be happening soon. So even in the days leading up to labor, then I wasn't sleeping great. Um, and then, you know, obviously once things started, you know, Saturday, um, evening, you know, after a day of castor oil and acupuncture, um, I tried to rest as much as I could that night, but I was mostly up. Um, and yeah, um, I think that during the pushing stage, I mean, the only thing that really like kept me from just like saying, never mind, let's just go like <laughs> get the baby out by other means yeah. was that everybody's healthy. And I just mm-hmm. reminded myself like there's nothing wrong. This yeah. is taking time. Yeah. Buenos dias world from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Went And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. That's a great perspective. I appreciate that a lot. Um, do you, have you looked back at the the experience and, and wondered thi- I mean, wondered things like, so your waters break, right? And they go for a few days. But then you also, you know, made the note that just how you felt in your body, like your body didn't get the signal or you didn't necessarily feel super ready for the task. I mean, obviously you still did it. You got with it. But it's just, would anything have, could anything have been done differently necessarily to to support you more? I mean, you wouldn't have wanted to keep going a few more days with your water broken and not taking measures, right? I mean, I know that's a lot of questions, but I'm just like, wow, like that's just so fascinating yeah. how it Literally, all. There were... mm-hmm. Yeah, there were lots of options all yeah. along the way. And my midwives talked to me all along. They were like, look, you know, even early on in the process, they were like, we can transfer. Mm. You can stay home. You know, like everything's fine. You're healthy. There's all these different options. You mm-hmm. can stay home and we can try puncture and castor oil. We can transfer your care to the hospital. We mm-hmm. can give you Pitocin. You know, like there are lots of options, yeah. um, but, you know, just, you know, it, it was my choice all along to right. stay home as long as, as long as we were healthy, right? Like mm-hmm. if there was something that came up, then of course I would want to transfer. Um, 
when I was pushing at some point, then my midwife said, you have to push your baby out with this contraction and like come to find out afterwards. Like there was this like stream of meconium that came down past my daughter's head and they were like, okay, so you're and like, stop, stop lollygagging, like give this all of your force that you have. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Um, But that was really the only thing that came up like the whole time was that like, probably it was it was fresh mech too it wasn't like diluted or anything mm-hmm. like that so it was probably just like while you know because it was taking a while to push and it was as stressful for isla as it was for me right um right but it was um you know sunday evening at 506 she was born mm-hmm. after my water breaking on a tuesday morning wow and so I have to ask yeah. for Matthew, because he would be doing it if he was here, you know, asking about Jeremy through all of this, you know, how was he through um, the birth experience and supporting you and, and where he was at in terms of, you know, the patience, you know, that that was to be cultivated to just, you know, be in it. Yeah, um, he was exhausted, too. And thank goodness we had a doula by mm. our side, because she gave him the space to be able to like lay down and take a little nap so that he could be refreshed. And, you know, obviously she was like really supporting him and supporting me when he was up and awake, but like with the length of this process, like it wouldn't have been doable without our doula by her side. She ended up writing a blog post about slow birth Mm. after our, after our birth experience. And this is somebody who's like, she's a very busy doula in Vancouver and probably attends six to eight births a month. And, we inspired her to write a blog post about how slow birth can take be. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he um, was tired mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, I, when I finally did push her out, then I was, he was sitting in one of our dining chairs and I was sort of like sitting on his lap between contractions, but then would sort of scoot my butt off of his lap and squat with contractions. And um, he told me this after she was born that like when I was holding onto his legs during pushing, then I was pushing the rivets of his board shorts into his legs. Oh, and he was like it was the worst, <laughs> it was like it was the worst pain that I've ever experienced. Wow, Just, like having this, and he's like, but I couldn't complain because right. you were pushing the baby out of your vagina. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he just really. You know, he was a firm, solid support through it all and was just like, you know, he wasn't trying to convince me to do something that I didn't want to do. He was there as a calm support. And um, after the fact, when we were all snuggled up in bed together, um, you know, and the midwives and my doula had like cleaned up the whole apartment, you couldn't even tell that there had been a birthday. It was amazing. (laughs) Wow. In fact, my mom was flying in from Baltimore at the same time, and she uh, she arrived two or three hours after um, after my daughter was born. And she's like, she walked in. She's like, "Hello, <laughs> <laughs> is anybody here?" And we were just like all snuggled up in bed. She's like, "Oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell that anything had happened here." Um, but yeah, we were all snuggled up in bed together after she was born, and I just remember my husband saying. Thank God we had a doula. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, um, um, yeah. And so that really showed to me how much like that support means for, for partners as well. He wouldn't have been able to do what he did without having the support of somebody else. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so do you um, think that 
birth inspired you to move into birth work? Uh, I do. It definitely had a lot to do with, I mean, obviously like I leave my own birth stories at the door. Like Mm -hmm. my birth does not have anything to do with anyone else's, but I've experienced firsthand what that support can do for families. And, um, it definitely was a huge inspiration. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I finished mm -hmm. my post and, you know, and went on with my career that I was on the path towards until I got pregnant with my second. Okay. Okay. So then walk us through a little bit of that, you know, pregnant again in a new country, in a new state, city. And, you know, you said you didn't hesitate to plan a home birth um, again. But like now there's a a lot has changed. Like the game is different now, essentially. So what did that look like? um, And how did that compare to your your first time around? Yeah, I had no idea where to start again. Like we were new in another place. (laughs) just like uprooting and then having a baby in a new place where we don't really know any people. Um, luckily, uh, my midwife from Vancouver, she actually um, was one of the founding people of the Yale Midwifery School here on the East Coast um, in Connecticut. And so she has a lot of local connections. So I called her back in Vancouver and was like, help, I need a midwife here. Um And so, um, yeah, so we were pregnant again, um, and looking for a midwife from the, from scratch and, um, you know, did some Google searching and did some talking to other people, but like the home birth community is a much smaller because it's not covered by insurance and, you know, there's, but there's just not as many people doing home births here and in Massachusetts as there are in Canada. Mm. Um, so yeah, it took a little while. Um, we ended up getting a great recommendation from um, from our midwives in Vancouver and connected. Um, and I ended up losing that pregnancy. I had a miscarriage at like 12 weeks. Um, but um, when we did get pregnant again, then, uh, then we stayed with the same midwives and um, had another, you know, low-risk pregnancy. Nothing nothing came up, which is, you know, I'm so grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they, um, the care here is different. So, uh, mid- home birth midwives are primarily certified professional midwives. Um, there are a couple of CNMs that, uh, certified nurse midwives that attend home births in Massachusetts, but there's like two in the whole state. Um, one's been doing it for a while and the other one, um, is starting a new practice. But um, by and large, it's certified professional midwives that, you know, um, and there isn't a licensure um, uh, currently in Massachusetts for um, one of my uh, phones is ringing. Um, So, yeah, so there's currently not licensure in Massachusetts around home birth midwifery. Um, and there is some legislation that's, that's attempting to be pushed through the, the state house at the moment, mm. um, surrounding legislation of, of home birth midwives. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of sides to that, um, you know, uh, politically and, you know, um, midwives are mostly, um, in, not in support of having licensure because of the whole restriction mm. uh, thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it really restricts, you know, 
there's there's not a state where licensure exists that there's not restrictions placed on midwives for what they can do and can't do. Gotcha. Um, and obviously, like, you know, um, they're not going to take on someone that's that they view as high risk or that they can't manage safely at, at home. Um, but for the state to be telling them what they can and cannot do is a different story. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there's a lot of dialogue around that, and I'm kind of involved in um, in that as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so it's different. And they're not, you know, it was an out-of-pocket cost for us to find a midwife here in, in Massachusetts. Um, we were lucky that our insurance ended up reimbursing us for, like, 80% of it, but that's nice. very rare here. Okay, okay. So, um, most insurance companies, you know, uh, don't, don't cover home birth. Mm. So that was different. Um, and, but in terms of the care that we received, it was very similar. You know, Mm. CPMs can, they draw labs and they order ultrasounds. And we had the same kind of care that we had in, in Canada in terms of like, you know, um, prenatal tests and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, another thing that made this pregnancy quite different is that I went way past. My, so my first was born at 39 and 6 after five days of, you know, wondering when she was going to come. My second one was born at 41 and 4. Wow, um, yeah. So I had all this <laughs> and that, like, she was going to come close to her due date. And my mom flew into town, you know, right around my due date. And she could only stay for two weeks. And all of the, you know, a week and a half of that had passed and she had to go back to work. And so it was, um, I was like crying myself to sleep every night mm-hmm. to like will this child out of me while I still had my mom's help because she was, she was responsible for taking care of my then toddler mm-hmm. um, while I was in labor at home. Like yeah. I needed somebody whose job it was to just care for her and she was going to have to leave. Right. Um, and I was having all of this prodromal labor, like for a week leading up to birth, I was having contractions that were five minutes apart during the day, but mild. And then they would fizzle out and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be like, well, I got a whole night of sleep again. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you <laughs> like I kept hoping that, that night was going to be the night? Yeah, I bet. Did you have anything going in, you know, coming out of your first birth, like any sort of fear, anxiety around how long the birth would be given what happened with the first? Did you have anything around that? Or like, did you think about pushing and how long that could be again? You know, I, um, I did a lot of like mental work after the birth of my first and was yeah. like, I, I just channeled that all into like, you know what? I did it. Mm-hmm. Everyone was healthy and fine. It was slow, but we were healthy. And like, you know, so by the time I, you know, then experienced, you know, miscarriage at, at home and, um, and had gone through all of this other emotional stuff, then, you know, I was like, I just found myself in a place where, I was going to remain grateful for being healthy and having a viable pregnancy and that as long as we were healthy, that I was going to do it. And, and a lot of the emotional, like I also over those years recognized like how much of a blockage that I had probably created for myself in like that doubt that started festering over those days of my body not going into labor on its own. Mm. Um, 
So I just told myself, like, I'm going to do it this time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to have a psychological blockage. I'm not going to, like, I'm just going to keep telling myself that I'm going to do this and it's going to be great and she's going to be healthy. And, mm-hmm. um, and I did all of the prenatal work to encourage her to get into a good position um, for birth, you know, and did everything that I could on my part to, um, to at least, you know, ease the process both psychologically and, um, and physically. Mm. And that ended up being a super straightforward birth experience at like 11 PM, right. Of course, after I laid down to go to bed for the night, then I started having stronger contractions. Um, I rested for a while and then I got up, I didn't wake up my husband, um, I went downstairs and just like leaned over the yoga ball and, or, you know, birth ball. And, um, and when things started getting strong to the point where I was like really working with them, then I went and woke him up and had him fill up the pool and call the midwives. And I had a six hour labor. She was born at five. I only pushed for 20 minutes and, uh, she was born just before 7am, um, that morning. So, um, and after I got into active labor, then it was only about six hours. Um, wow. So, yeah, a lot different experience. Jeez. Um, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate She did you. have a double new. Oh, okay. And so um, it took a little bit of, that was like the only thing that came up in her birth was that uh, she had a, a double nuchal cord that like the midwives couldn't like slip over her head easily. So they did this uh. like cool little somersault maneuver and like, held her head against my leg and the rest of her body kind of tumbled out and she wow. naturally unwound herself. She was born in the huh. water. Um, and you know, thus the inspiration for her name. She's also an Aquarius. So her name Marin means of the, of the ocean. Uh. Um, and yeah, it was a really amazing, positive, peaceful experience and totally different from the first time. Cause I told myself, it, it, you know, it didn't have to be that way. Right. <laughs> I went into it. Yeah. Like my body was going to do it however it happened. Um, so. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that, you know, how you walked through your kind of mental and emotional processes and unpacking and like rewiring and all that. I, I really appreciate how you shared that. And then how you were able to, you know, experience your, your second birth. Do you feel like in Marin's birth, you kind of got this, um, I'm sure you already had it, but just some more appreciation and connection with your body in terms of that, like your body could do it. Obviously, like you knew it did before, but you know that it, it's just so different. You know, it's like whatever that unique experience for that baby and, and birthing that baby is, is. So it's like with this one, it was, it's unique, uniquely its own thing as well. And yet you, you know, are the common denominator. And so therefore, like you are capable of so much. Thank you. You are so powerful. Like, totally. That's just that's what comes to my mind. For sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely like took my first experience and just turned it into not my body failed me. It took so long to do all of this. It took me so long to push, but like I did this huge freaking thing. And yeah. if I could do that, like the second time, I also told myself that the second time is bound to be easier. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if I knew that I was facing a five day thing again, I don't, I don't know. You know, I probably would have done it again still because I knew that we were both healthy. Right. Um, and I was tired at the end of it, but it was so worth it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to stay home. 
Yeah. Um, for both of them. Yeah. Oh, and so now tell me a little bit about the work that you do as, as a doula and just what that is for you now in your life. Yeah. So, um, so I, when I was pregnant with my second, um, then I started thinking about this whole, um, balancing motherhood thing yeah. and, <laughs> and how I was to, uh, go back to a career that I was not happy in just to pay somebody to watch my child. And, um, cause really like the daycare expenses, everything, you know, is just, it really does end up being a trade-off. Like my salary would have been going towards childcare. Um, and so if I wasn't doing something that I absolutely loved, then why keep doing it? Um, so, so it was during that pregnancy that I enrolled in a midwifery program and, um, and did my doula training and started taking doula clients while I was still working full time, mm-hmm. had a toddler at home, was pregnant with a second baby. And, um, yeah, so it was a lot, but I Dang, wanted to mama. get to a point where <laughs> I know, uh, but I wanted to get to a point where, you know, when my maternity leave was over that I could leave yeah. and just already be established enough on this new path to sure. just take off with it. And that's how it worked out. Um, I've been doing full-time doula work now for um, over three years and um, have attended over 200 births. And wow. um, I do I do home births. I also attend a lot of births in hospitals. You know, it's a, probably 90% of my births are, are hospital births. Mm-hmm. It was so funny for me, though, because I had never been in a hospital room, a, a labor and delivery room, before um, supporting doula clients there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I never, I mean, I had gone on a tour in my first pregnancy of the hospital in Vancouver just to know what it looked like and be familiar, um, in the case of a transfer. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I, it was, that was definitely a surreal experience and like learning the differences between hospital and home birth. And, um, and there is, there's so many stark contrasts that, you know, I could go on for days about it, but (laughs) yeah. Uh, Um, But like I said, you know, my own birth choices. They don't, I, I want to support people in the place that they feel exactly. safe and support. Um, and so it's not, it's not about home versus hospital. It's about, you know, um, supporting people where they feel, um, the most safe. Mm. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. And you serve Boston and kind of the greater area of Boston. Is that correct? Yeah. I okay. definitely started to like say no more because, mm. you know, I, I have a, busy practice. I'm, you know, booked like seven months out at this point. Um, and so it's given me the liberty of like not traveling as far and Um, mm -hmm. not going to the hospitals that just feel really, um, against, you know, yeah. Don't align with what you're up to and like what the, the, what you want to provide. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm here, you know, Cambridge, uh, Boston, Metro West area. Awesome. Yeah. Well, what I want to do is include a link to your website in the show notes so that people can check out birthing matters and, you know, learn more about you and all that great stuff. So I'll put that in the show notes. 
Awesome. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show, for bringing the perspective that you brought. Um, gosh, I, just, I really appreciate it. Like, this is how we learn, right? Like, this is how we learn how how birth is, you know, in other parts of the world. And, you know, even within our own country, like state to state. And it's just like through these stories, through the sharing, through the transparency and the lessons learned, you know, we all become a little bit more informed. We all become a little bit more um, understanding and compassionate. And like, that's what's going to shift things forward, you know, to just create the best, um, healthiest, most loving space for, you know, mothers and families. Yeah, for sure. I wish that I had a podcast episode like this that would have told me about the differences between these, um, you know, uh, different um, care Mm -hmm. and all of that prenatally. Uh, Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But now you got to pay it forward, right? And someone listening is going to be impacted by that and is going to be able to, you know, move through their journey as a result. So you're paving the way. is navigating a similar situation, then, you know, feel free to be in touch with me and I'll Great. provide you whatever resources that I can or connect you with people or. Yes. You know. Awesome. That's what it's all about. I love it. So I love this space. Um, Lindsay, thank you again to you, your family. You're awesome. Um, thanks so much. Thank you. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.